This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 254 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins fell to the New Jersey Devils 2-1 to in overtime on Wednesday night. As we record on Thursday, Bridget and Scott, let's jump right into the opening shifts. Yeah, so mine, a little bit on the the negative side. Uh, you know, I thought a couple of the Bruins lines last night were, were pretty good, and we'll get into them. One that was way too quiet was the, I'll call them the second line, but Brad Marchand, Charlie Coyle, and Trent Frederick. And uh, Bruins got outshot 6-2 when they were on the ice. Marchand had two shots on goal for the game. Coyle, none. Frederick, one. Um, and this kind of continues something that's been a bit of a trend this season, which is that for whatever reason, Marchand and Coyle together just doesn't seem to click. Um, on the, the season now, they've played 121 minutes together, which is like getting to be a pretty big sample. Bruins have been outshot 66 to 50. Expected goals are 44%. Like, that's, that's just not very good. Coyle's been much better when it's been Van Riemsdyk with him along with Frederick. Martian, they kind of feel like they're still trying to find, like, the best fit, like, where he goes without Bergeron because there were stretches when where him with Zaka and Pasternak was, was pretty good, and then there were stretches where they were very quiet. I think I'm at a point where I would like to see Martian with Patra for a little longer of a stretch and see how that looks because there's been some encouraging signs, but they just haven't spent a whole lot of time together. Um, You know, in theory, Martian and Coyle should work better, like smart players, two-way players. uh, They hold on to pucks, all that. But for some reason, it just isn't clicking. And I think Wednesday night was kind of another example of it. Yeah. Um, and basically I wanted to talk about Morgan geeky and the game that he had, because I feel like he showed us a lot of different skills that we just haven't seen from him throughout the season because he hasn't had the same opportunity that he did last night, because he went right from the game before being the fourth line right wing to all of a sudden he's the top line center. And we are, we were wondering how he was going to do in that role. And though at one point in time he was moved off of that role because it was, um, you know, just the lines were stagnant in general, he ends up scoring with a different group of guys. I think it was um, Van Riemsdyk was on his line at the time. Uh, Let's see, it was JVR, Geeky, Heinen. And they all had a point in last night's game. Geeky had the goal. Um, Started out on the top line, ended up on the top line by the end of the game. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but he had a few like very creative plays that he made besides just working really hard. He had that that play where he knocked the defender's stick forward, left the puck back and like just created a little bit of space for himself and took it and went around. And then, um, yeah, he he had a few different things that he did that I was like, oh, I didn't realize he was that kind of like uh playmaker we hadn't seen that from him yet but I thought he had a great game and stepped up without Zaka 
Yeah, I liked Geeky's game a lot. I liked his effort and um, definitely more to, to, to discuss regarding him and his usage. Is he one of those players who performs better with better players around him um, and kind of plays, you know, levels off if he's with lesser, uh, lesser uh, talent. Uh, so I was listening to the morning show on WEI this morning and Mike Milbury was on and he met, he, he brought up something that's, that's a, it's an age old debate, but I kind of found it interesting for him to bring it up on this morning. Cause it didn't really seem relevant to um, recent games, recent weeks that he may have been discussing, but he brought up the idea of, of Boston. Um, he thinks the Bruins should trade Linus Allmark. And I know that we've talked about it before. It's not a new topic of conversation, but as the season keeps going on here and the Bruins look at what they need on this roster, obviously McAvoy and Zaka being out that's your top defenseman and your top center. Um, so it's tough to gate to, to, to assess the team based on last night's game, but just in general, there's a lot of teams out there in the NHL that could use goaltending. The Bruins have it in spades, as everybody here knows. It's a it's a position of strength. Yes, you would be taking away a position of strength. You would be taking away the ability to go every other game with Swayman and Allmark and a potential playoff rotation like Scott wants and others want as well. Um, you would be getting rid of that to address needs elsewhere if the potential trade partner was out there, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is a bit of an unprocessed thought by me, but I heard it this morning and I thought it was kind of a, you know, Good time to maybe just revisit it and just get a pulse check on the skate pod. Um, and so that's not my opening shift, not to do it the Devils game last night, but just you know, um, revisiting this 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 conversation. Yeah, and I think you know, even though I'm very much open to the playoff rotation, I'm also not opposed to trading one of the goalies. And I think we all agree, you know, you'd probably prefer to keep Swayman. He's younger. He's more of the long term future. Um, so I'm not opposed to trading Linus Allmark. I just think it has to make sense. Like it has to be for either him traded directly for a real impact player, most likely a forward, uh, or you kind of have like two deals lined up at once where Allmark's going one place and you're getting assets back that then help you immediately turn around and execute another trade that's already in place. Like what I wouldn't want is like, trade Allmark now because the right price is out there. And then, okay, now we're going to go shop for a forward. And it's like, all right, well, what if you don't really find a forward? Like now you've kind of backed yourself into, into a corner where you've, you've freed up money. You've made this one trade with the idea of doing something else, but that doesn't guarantee that that other great trade is out there. Um, so as long as it makes sense, like I'm okay with it. I just don't know that it's, going to make sense. I think it hasn't made sense to this point um, because when you look at like teams that are looking to trade for number one goalie, part of the problem is, is like most likely there are other contenders. So do you really want to trade Lena Sel Like the Carolina Hurricanes are, would love to trade for Lena Selmark. You're not trading him within the conference because then he could potentially end your season. So I know, you know, people mentioned the Edmonton Oilers, um, certainly a contender if something ended up working out there, but like, that's, that's one team, you know, it's like, you, you got to find more of a market than that. So um, I'm not opposed to it. I just think 
I'm not trading him just for the sake of trading him. And right now I, I kind of struggle to see like that perfect trade that makes it worth pulling the trigger on. Yeah. And if you're just say it's like Edmonton or, or, but just a playoff team in general, they're probably not going to want to trade you, um, you know, a, a top six forward. <laughs> they're probably like, Oh no, I think we need all of our top six forwards in order to win a cup or be, you know, be in the running. So that's the kind of, that that's just kind of the issue with the logistical part of it. Um, I guess I don't really have an issue with trading Allmark in general. And I think we had the same opinion last season, but I do think that we've said it on this podcast a million times. Goaltending is the biggest strength and might be why the record is what it is, even though the, the forward group isn't quite as strong. And Brian, this was one of your takes recently that the record is better than the team. And that's because of goaltending. So um, I'm not sure. I mean, in the playoffs, can you really survive on goaltending alone? The Bruins didn't last year. So it just depends what what management values. Uh, do they value having guys that can go one than the other? Um, I know they do in the regular season, but we didn't see that in the playoffs. So if their philosophy in the playoffs is to ride one guy anyway, tra- maybe trade a goalie. Well, and and in theory, um, like no, no, you don't want to solely rely on goaltending in the postseason, Bridget. Like you just like you just asked. Uh, so like again, part of why Milbury brings this up is he feels that Jeremy Swayman is an elite goaltender in the NHL, and that by trading all Mark, who's a little bit older, costs a little bit more, and isn't your long term future. Swayman is, and also one could argue should be already the present solely um by getting rid of all mark you do help bolster bolster that lineup anyway around you where you still have the elite goaltender and swimming but now you've kind of maybe plugged in a hole or two um and, and as you guys have illustrated it's it's harder to do that because you don't want to do it in conference as as scott mentioned and 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 contenders don't want to part with a top six forward for example like bridget mentioned so what i would ask is um are why are we limiting ourselves to only thinking about contenders? Do you think there are teams out there that maybe they're on the bubble or just beneath it and they're on the rise and they're saying to themselves, we think we're, we're just a goalie away for 24, 25 um, as opposed to this year. Possibly. Um, yeah, because Allmark does have another year. So it could be a team that's, you know, not quite there this year, but, thinks they're heading in the right direction. Um, you know, just kind of trying to take like a quick look through. I, I sort of wonder who that might be. Um, you know, like the Ottawa senators invested in Eunice Corpusalo, like, which I think might've been a mistake, but they already did it and they can't really get, get out of that three months into that commitment. Um, you know, so like, there's, there's some teams like that, the Seattle Kraken maybe, or a team that was there last year, struggling this year. They might feel like, you know, they can get back quickly if they get the goalie. So, like, possibly something, you know, I'm just spitballing, but, like, that that could be an option too. Um, I mean, three teams that come to mind, Scott, would be, like, you mentioned Edmonton earlier. 
Um, obviously, they're hoping to contend now. But, I mean, Calgary, um, Minnesota, Anaheim. Cal- yeah. The, the problem with Calgary is they have so much already invested in goaltending with the contracts they have from Markstrom and Vladar. And also, they're really high on Dustin Wolf, who's gotten like a cup of coffee so far, but it's one of the top-ranked goalie prospects in the league. So I kind of doubt that they would give up a ton for Allmark. Anaheim's an interesting one because there also there's been rumors of them trading John Gibson, um, who I think is in the final year of his deal. So yeah, that that's a team that obviously got off to a good start and has really faded since. Um, but I mean, yeah, sure. Like if they're looking towards next year and they think they're maybe closer than they've shown over the last month. Um, yeah, that can make sense. Or like, what about like Chicago that's trying to rebuild with Bedard? I like, I, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is like, there's always going to be a reason why a team wouldn't want to do it. But if you're flo- if you float Linus Allmark out there for the league over the next, you know, call it 10 months, I'm sure there would be a deal that would probably entice the Bruins as well. I have one team that I think maybe, I I mean, the Penguins are pretty happy with Tristan Jari, right? So I don't, for some reason, that was one that popped into my mind. But what about St. Louis? Would they make a move with St. Louis? They're just outside right now in the standings. And they're, I think they're, they're kind of trapped with Bennington's contract, right? Yeah, that's what I was wondering because he's not been good this year, but they're a team that's right now they're right on the bubble. They're in the last wild card spot. Yeah, I mean, Bennington's six million for three more years after this. Like, that's yeah. again, similar to Ottawa. It's like once you kind of make that big money commitment to a goalie, you're you're sort of stuck, like for better or worse. And, and for some of these teams, definitely for worse. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure St. Louis would love to upgrade over Bennington who hasn't been very good this year, but they can't like, you you can't have $11 million invested in one position. So that's, so I guess that kind of demonstrates, it kind of demonstrates what we're talking about, how, even if that's something that the Bruins were open to doing, or even were favoring that option, sometimes that there's not a trade partner that's, you know, first of all, in the position to trade for a goalie uh, cap wise, or because they already have money committed to goalies or because they, you know, they're, they're within the conference and you're not going to trade with them. All of those reasons, like we just mentioned are reasons why it hasn't happened in the past. And I feel like it's still pretty unlikely to happen this season. Yeah. It wouldn't be easy. Um, Especially if you're going to pretty much cross off the Eastern conference Right. I mean, if you're going to take away half the league to start, which I'd have to think about if I even feel that way, um, because sometimes you just have to do business. If it's if it's best for your team, you can't be you can't be too afraid that Linus Allmark is going to, you know, uh, be the ghost of Christmas past for you. But um, it, it is hard. It's not easy. There's a lot of things at play. Uh, what I can say is when when teams want to get something done, GMs can get creative. There's, you know, sometimes there's multi-team deals and whatnot. Um, but that'll be for Don Sweeney and, and company to figure out. Um, I just wanted to bring this up because Milbury brought it up. And 
Yeah, obviously the Bruins aren't a perfect team, and 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 when you when you are so solid in goal, yes, you're taken away from what your what your strength is. But if look, if you if you're somebody who thinks that Jeremy Swayman is the guy for now and in the future, and you just need somebody to come in and play maybe 35 games a year as a backup, you can find a you can find a solid backup out there. You don't need you don't need to have the top two of the top goalies in the world on your team. Um, you do right now because you're kind of ailing elsewhere, but you don't need that. It's it's luxury on a necessity. So sometimes you have to give to get is all I'm saying. And yeah, I wanted to bring and, it back and, up. And one other thing like we have to know in this discussion too is Linus Allmark has a 16-team no-trade list. So we talk about like potentially eliminating the Eastern Conference. Linus Allmark himself can literally eliminate half the league. So that also has to be. That's very true. You very have to work true. around that. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of workarounds. There really, there really are. But I think um, we all we all kind of feel the same way, though, Bridget. Would you say where it's like, if it makes sense, we're all open to it, right? Yeah, I'd say open to it because of the way that they've used their goalies in the past in the playoffs. Like they had Swayman right there to go to, and they waited way too long. They're like, if you're not gonna do the goalie rotation in the playoffs, I understand it works in the regular season. But if you're, if we're talking about trying to win a Stanley cup. If you're not going to use both of them in the playoffs, then yeah, you, you have to be open to moving a position that you aren't going to lean on like one of the guys and, you know, maybe get something back that you will actually use, which would be a winger. But um, I, I also am completely okay with keeping both of them because they're both good. And I want to see a goalie rotation in the playoffs. Like just, just putting it out there. Scott and I both said this is something we'd like to see last year. Razor disagreed with us. He thought it was blasphemous. Um, I want to see it. I know, you know, we talk about, oh, it hasn't been done. You know, just not what they do. Why? Why not? Let's. I want to see it. Okay. And that's, and that's where um, our panel disagrees probably the most is that I, I want to see the goalie rotation out of curiosity. But what I want to see more than that is I want to see Jeremy Swayman be given a postseason to start with. We haven't seen that yet. And 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 bef- it's 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 kind of like we've seen them do we obviously we've seen Tuka have that opportunity. We've seen Allmark have that opportunity. And it's almost like I want to see the goalie rotation if we get to see Swayman have that opportunity. And if Swayman had an opportunity to have a playoff series and run with it and also kind of faltered, then I would be like, okay. Yeah, I want to see a rotation now. But it's it's almost like you guys want to see the rotation before Swayman gets the chance to show what he can do. And that that curiosity for me is trumping my rotation curiosity, if that makes any sense. Well, I, I have two reasons, like, selfishly, right? It's like, I just personally am so curious how it would work out. And I find it really interesting. And, you know, it's something we've debated. And I just, as a hockey fan, want to see, you know... Does it work? Do people hate it? Do people like it? Are people like, oh my God, this is what we're going to do now? Like, is it a new strategy? What if it works really well? It's a new strategy. Bruins win the Stanley Cup and everyone's like, now we need to try that. Um, So I don't know, just as a, just as a hockey fan in general, I'm just really curious to see how it would work. Um, But that would also mean you would be doing the same thing that you did in the regular season, which is just pure alternating 50-50, 50-50, which I know in the playoffs, you usually stick with the guy that if he has a great game the night before, you don't take him out. It's definitely kind of ingrained in hockey culture that that's just how you do it. So it would feel unnatural, but I just, I just want to see it one time. I just, I want to see what it, what it looks like. 
Um, and the, this is the perfect goalie combination to, to try it. I think. Yeah. My, my real take on this is I want you to do whatever's working in the regular season. Like, Whatever, whatever you're doing leading up to the playoffs, if it's working well, just stick with it. And last year, the rotation was working historically well, and that's why I wanted them to stick with it. They went away from it. It didn't work. If it's working really well this year, come the end of the regular season, once again, my take will be that I want to see it continue into the playoffs. If, say, in like the final month, month and a half of the regular season, Swayman is – clearly outperforming Almard, then what I would want to see is I would want to see them lean on Swayman more down the stretch and prepare him to be the number one for the playoffs. Like I'm not, I'm not on, it has to be a rotation and I'm stuck on that and I'm not going to change. Now what I'm going to be stuck on is whatever is working best for you down the stretch leading up to the playoffs. I just want to see that continue. Yeah. Which for this season and last season, was a rotation so um and did you guys see the split swayman did last night yeah, that was insane cool. that was and even Allmark when he came to the bench after that he he said something to him like he said that's a split and a half <laughs> like, yeah that looked painful yeah by the way we, we heard that because Allmark was mic'd up and i gotta say like I'm not sure there's too much that's more pointless than hockey players being mic'd up. Like, it has been... Heads up, heads up, I, heads up, heads up. I can't even remember the last time we got anything interesting from a mic'd up hockey player. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Marshawn was mic'd up at one point for a TNT broadcast, and he swore um, live because they were doing, like, an interview where he was talking directly to the panel, and he was, like, skating around during warm-ups, and he just straight up swore on live tv and they thought it was funny but they also were like great <laughs> that was really it though that i can remember that was entertaining yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a whole lot of let's go boys and yeah good play good play yeah in 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 deep deep what on well yeah remember i think scott i think you you recalled a funny one where Taylor Hall last year was talking to Trent Frederick and Frederick said it was like his most beautiful goal and and Hall goes Really? <laughs> really? That was your best one? Okay. <laughs> um, so Bridget, let's let's circle back on your opening shift last because I think it ties into some of the ups. So Scott, we'll jump back to yours, and that's Martian and Coyle. Yeah, it like I kind of mentioned, like it it feels like it should work, and it might at some point. You know, we've seen plenty of instances of guys who don't have chemistry, things aren't really clicking and eventually they get it. So I'm not saying like never put Martian and Coyle together the rest of the season. I think you can keep trying, like as long as you're winning, as long as other lines are producing, you, you can keep trying it. Um, you can go back to it. We know Montgomery is going to change lines every period and a half anyways. Um, but yeah, for right now though, it's, it, it really is kind of odd, like how, how little that combination has worked because it's like you would think playing with Marshan would be better for you than having Van Riemsdyk on your left. And that's no knock on Van Riemsdyk who's obviously having a you know really good season, but Marshan's a better player. You would think that should work better. And yet it's just not like sometimes chemistry is just a funny thing. Sometimes you kind of, 
either just have it or you don't. And um, right now I just don't think Martian and Coyle had, like Martian was on fire and then you put him with Coyle and like he has a very quiet game and it's, you know, Coyle we've seen playing well. He, his line scored a goal in Saturday's game when he was, I think he was with Van Riemsdyk and Frederick. Then you put Martian in there and it's like, the line just doesn't work as well. So, um, yeah, I, I would make, I would put JVR back on that line and give Marshan Patra Heinen, or if Zaka's back and you wanted to do like Marshan Patra geeky, um, I do want to see a longer look of Marshan Patra together. Can I, uh, oh, well, this kind of goes a little bit against what you said, but can I throw some lines out there? Um, sure. So, Debrusque, Patra Pasta, um, Back to the normal line of JVR, Coyle, Frederick, Marshawn, Geeky, Heinen, and then the normal fourth line. Do we think Marshawn, Geeky, Heinen could be a line? Because Geeky had a good game. Um, he can make plays. Heinen's been working really hard. Um, do we think that that could potentially be something? Because he, because Montgomery did go to DeBrusque, Patra, Pasta in the second period at one point, which could could have some success. I don't know what you guys think of those. Well, I think um, – so and we'll get to Geeky. And I, and I loved his game last night, and I loved his work ethic. I feel like Marshand needs somebody who thinks the game offensively at his level. And I don't think that's necessarily Geeky, and I don't think it's Coil, and I think it can be Zaka. I'm not going to lie, though. I saw Geeky making some plays like – intelligent creative plays that i just did mm-hmm. not think he could or just we didn't know that about him and all of a sudden yeah. i'm i'm noticing he made that like a no look backhand pass exactly to the right spot and he and he was trying things that a lot of people wouldn't i don't know like wouldn't know know to do or like it kind of felt like he was playing chess a little bit like oh i'm gonna outsmart someone at different points so i think maybe we just don't know that about him he could be that kind of player well are you talking for a, for a long are you talking long term or short term I'm just talking about try it while Zaka's out. Okay. Then if that's the case, then sure. You know what I mean? Like I, like I said last episode, like when you're, when you're down bodies, like whatever it takes to kind of, you know, make do and see what you have. Right. Um, okay. So if you're talking while Zaka's out, then I, yeah, sure. I don't, I can see, I could see a world where I could see that go for a couple of games. Scott, I'll let you chime in there as well. Yeah. I think I would probably just keep DeBrusque, Geeky, Pasenak together. Like that worked really well. And, I kind of just wouldn't mess with that. Um, you know, I was looking at like how Martian has been with sort of each of the top three centers. Um, not so much geeky because I don't, I don't know if geeky's really centered a line with Martian yet. Maybe, maybe in spurts here and there, but like, I, so I went over, you know, Martian and coil, not really clicking Martian with Zaka wasn't really great either. Um, Zaka's actually been better away from Marshan with someone else um, on his left. Marshan Patra is an interesting one. Like just looking at some of the numbers, it's it's only been 50 minutes, but like Bruins are out shooting opponents 31 to 23, expected goals 61%, which is really good. The only thing that's off is actual goals. The Bruins are getting outscored three to one. So I do think that's maybe part of the reason why Montgomery has been hesitant to go to it as they've kind of had a habit of giving up some goals once they've gotten together. 
but the underlying numbers are encouraging. And so I look at that and I'm like, I don't know. It just seems worth taking a longer look. Like it's really, really only been like, you know, the one game against San Jose where they had a whole game together and they were good. And then Montgomery went away from, for matchup reasons, but he's stayed away from it. So um, I would, like I said, like that's what I would want to try just to see if there's something there and something that can stick maybe a little longer term. Wasn't that the post-game press conference, too, that we were at, Scott, that he highly complimented that line? Yeah. He mm-hmm. said that was a good line, and he said, like, the Zaka line that they had from that day was, like, good in spurts. But he was very complimentary of that line, more so than we've seen him be in post-game press conferences because <laughs> we know he likes to tinker. Um, when someone asked him about it and he gave that answer, it kind of sounded like he was ready to settle on that just at least for a a longer trial, but then it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I mean, when Zaka comes back, I definitely am um, on, on on the same page as Scott. I want I want to see Patra go with with Marshan when when Zaka's back, um, and just on on Marshan in general, it's it's very evident to me that he's and look, this is not a surprise at all. Expected this would be surprised if this wasn't the case. But in losing Patrice Bergeron, you have to start the season at least. You've lost a little bit of Brad Marchand. Um, I know he's still producing. He's got like 25 points in 27 games, and that's obviously good for second on the team. And I'm not. You're not going to hear me sit here and 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 put him down for you know not being you know over a point per game guy like and just being south of it. It's not, it's not a big deal. But just watching him. Uh, at even strength, shift in and shift out. You can just tell that. I mean, they, 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 when I, when I said it earlier, like you kind of want somebody who thinks the game on Martian's level, like, I mean, Bergeron and Martian were so in sync for over a decade um, that it just seems to me he's, he's a little bit lost out there without his running mate. And that's something that obviously he's going to have to get over and, uh, and work, work his way out of. I guess the question, the million dollar question is do the Bruins currently have, a center that can run with Marchand, not even necessarily to the level that Bergeron did, but clearly it's not Coyle. Zaka remains to be seen in Patras Young. So if it's not one of those three guys, can the Bruins afford, if the Bruins are all in this year, right, which management always wants them to be, um, can you afford Brad Mar- to not have somebody playing alongside Brad Marchand? I guess the best out of Brad Marchand. And uh, I just think in the first quarter of the season, it's 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 obvious that he's he's a little stuck in the mud trying to find chemistry with other people and not his uh not his uh, his best man there. So I don't know if you guys have obviously picked up on that as well and what you think. You know, if, do the Bruins have the the um, solution internally? Maybe maybe with Patra or Zaka. I don't know. It's been such a small sample size, but so far uh, it hasn't been obvious for one of them. Yeah, and that's where I think like it's worth. I guess maybe two things could could be worth. Like one, as I mentioned with Padra, seeing if that can turn into something, or you put him with Zaka and Pasternak, and even though that that line's been inconsistent at times, you hope that they're three smart, talented players that can figure it out. Because look, obviously we know Martian and Pasternak had incredible chemistry for years. 
they've been on different lines for, you know, really the last two seasons before this one. And when they've been together this year, we haven't really seen that chemistry come back naturally. It hasn't obviously with a different center that makes, you know, that's a big difference. So um, I would also be okay with that, like giving them more time and just seeing if they can work through it and figure it out because they're three players that are good enough that you would think they should be able to. Um, but yeah, so, I, you know, I guess to bring it back to my take, that like the, the one thing I do feel kind of strongly about right now is like Marshan Coyle isn't working and I'd just rather see Marshan uh, somewhere else. Okay. Um, do you want to get to our normal Friday segment of who's up, who's down? Cause this ties right back into my opening shift. Um, if you don't mind, I will start it out. Um, so we all agreed that Morgan Geeky was a big time up this week um, for a lot of the things we kind of already went over just in the course of talking about the game. Uh, he stepped up as a top line center uh, and we've talked about it in the past. He was maybe brought in for a th- third or fourth line center role. Probably didn't see himself playing on a top line um, with Pasternak at any point, but here he is. Um, he did it and he proved that he could uh, with both his hustle, his, and he's a big guy too. Like he's strong. He, you're not bumping him off the puck easy. So he brings that element too. Uh, so, so he, he did have a skill set that worked on that top line in terms of possession. He's great at either maintaining possession or getting back possession um, if the Bruins don't have the puck. So I thought that he was an up. Uh, and I just want to hear, you don't have to go long on it, but what do you guys think? Well, I think that, yeah, you mentioned it, Bridget. He, uh, he's a big body and he doesn't get knocked off the puck. And, and it's not simply because he's a big body. It's because he also has the, you know, the, the grit and the, and the effort to go along with it. There's plenty of big guys out there that, you know, people will label soft and, you know, aren't strong in the puck. He is, uh, and he battles. And I think one of the, one of the good things about Morgan geeky, and he's growing on me with, with each and every game. But what I like about him is that he knows that he has things to work on. He's not a perfect player and he, and he, and he knows where he has to improve. And I think in the off season, he made a comment about how he thinks his skating is an area where he needs to improve his, his quickness. And, and while he's still not the quickest guy out there, I just think that, okay, he's probably saying to himself, I might not be the fastest guy in the world or the quickest guy in the world. So where do I need to be? Do I need to excel to compensate for that? And I think it's his puck protection and his, and his work ethic. And, you know, last night's goal is just like he's not letting anybody take that puck away from him. He's it's a 50-50 battle. He's taking it. He 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 gets inside ice, he gets to the crease, he gets to the areas where you have to score goals, and he scores a goal. Um, and coming into Boston, I think there was some I forget now because it's been it's been like four months, but there was some underlying analytics that said like um he was basically like among the top players in the league and maybe it was like points per 60 or something like that. Or where like when he's given opportunity, um, he creates. Uh, so, but he, in Seattle, he was playing a lot on the fourth line. Um, but where he gets 
opportunity up in the lineup, maybe he kind of just plays up to his competition a little bit. And if that's the case, maybe the same thing's true in Boston, where if he's on the fourth line with Jacob Loco and Oscar Steen or Johnny Beecher, maybe he's not going to produce as much as if he's playing up in the lineup with David Pashnak. Most obvious statement in the world, I know. But somebody we'll get to pretty soon hasn't been doing that, so maybe not so obvious. Um, but I guess the, the moral of the story is maybe not every player would take advantage of that opportunity. And and so far he has, and I really enjoyed his game because you can tell he's working hard, and that's that's very important. Yeah, and the role he was playing in Seattle was interesting too because it wasn't just a fourth-line role in fourth-line minutes. It was also they used their fourth line in like more offensive situations which is, you know, the opposite of what the Bruins do, where it's a lot of, like, D-zone starts. And, you know, you have to be able to play defense if you're going to be on the Bruins' fourth line. And um, I think Geeky's defensive work has been pretty strong this year, too. Like, they've demanded more from him, especially when he plays center. Um, We know the Bruins system is demanding defensively of centers, and I think he's held up his end of the bargain there, too. And, yeah, it's – I'm sure it's going to feel great for him to a to move up and play with Pasternak, obviously, but b to put up a couple points in the last two games and a goal on Wednesday, um, because the the points haven't really been there for him. You know, that's his third goal of the season, and again, part of that is like he was low in the lineup. He missed a little bit of time with injury, and when he came back, basically like Danton Heinen was the one who passed him on the depth chart, and that's why. Geeky comes back and he's a fourth line winger. Um, so yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know where he settles in long term. I, I, you know, I, I'm still not sure if we've found like exactly the best fit for him on in this lineup, but it's good for him to to move up to to show that he can do it to you know see the puck go in. And it's good for the Bruins to know that he can do that. That was part of you know it's part of the reason why like I was on board with putting him there for a game with Zaka out because you want to know, you want to know what he does with that opportunity. And, um, you know, I don't think anyone expects him to be their number one center um, going forward, but can he do it in a pinch? And, you know, they're learning that, yeah, he can. All right. So Bridget, any final takeaways on geeky before we had knock off a couple of other players that we think are, or ups right now? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. Um, Ian Mitchell. Scott, you high on Ian Mitchell right now? Yeah, I think he's I think he's played well. Um, stepping up with McAvoy out. He's taken on a, a top four role, not just on the depth chart in terms of how the pairings are listed, but in terms of minutes. Um, he's been getting, you know, 18, 19 minutes a game the last couple, uh, averaging 19 minutes a game over the last two games. So, you know, and I think he's played well. He was on the ice for four of the Bruins goals on Saturday. Thought he had another pretty good game on Wednesday. Um, Again, another guy where it's like, do I expect Ian Mitchell to stick in the top four going forward? No, definitely not. But you're learning that he can do it in a pinch. And he's had a lot of time next to, First, Tampus Lindholm, and then last night, more so Matt Grizzlick. Um, and I, I just think I think he's playing well. I think he's moving moving the puck quickly. I think he's 
been involved in transition. Um, maybe not like as involved in the offensive zone as we saw in the preseason. I remember a couple of preseason games where it was just like, he was just firing away from all over the place. I think we've seen him a little more restrained playing under control, but that that's not a bad thing. Like you don't, yes, the Bruins need more offense from the defenseman, but you don't need Ian Mitchell, you know, taking crazy chances up ice. Like if he just plays responsibly, you'll take that. And I think he's done that these last couple games. You know, um, <laughs> one, we haven't gotten to downs yet, but we haven't, I don't think we've mentioned this uh, thus far in the episode, but Jacob Zabora was waived, um, which is, I think, new since we last recorded. So and I think he's probably a, <laughs> a down, but though it sounds like he requested it and the Bruins adhered to it. So, um, but I bring him up because Ian Mitchell clearly surpassed him um, to start the year in the depth chart. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Ian Mitchell. Um, bit of a riverboat gambler, kind of like, Reminds me of Connor Clifton at times where he's, you know, he kind of takes some risks. Um, but, like, I like his effort. I like his compete. And uh, for a depth defenseman, you know, there's only so much you can really pick apart at his game. Bridget, what do you think? Yeah, no, I thought he had another good game since he's gotten – I mentioned him as the second call-up because Lori was the first. And it kind of seems like he's really fighting to be that that number one guy there. So when Carlo, I mean, Carlo, when Forbert comes back or McAvoy comes back, he wants to be the one that sticks around. Um, and I think he's making a good case for himself offensively. Yes. And then I know you guys have opinions about how Grizzlick's played, but um, he, like Scott mentioned, he was with Grizzlick last game. Potentially could be a really good offensive pair if Grizzlick is playing, you know, the way that we've seen him in the past. Yeah, definitely a lot to talk about with Grizzlick as well. Uh, I think we have one final up, and that is that is Matt Patra. Obviously, he has been the focal point of, of, of discussions in the last week plus with, um, you know, kind of beginning with, with Montgomery's scratching of him, and then obviously, you know, the benching in the third period against um, – Arizona, he didn't see much ice time in the third period against Toronto, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, you know, it's been kind of a circus the last week around around him. Uh, and I'm sure he's been hearing it and being asked about it. But I think that I think that in New Jersey, uh, while he didn't really uh, produce on the score sheet, I think he bounced back pretty well. And I, I know we all here uh, feel the same way. Yeah, he, he was making some good things happen. And I think that – that whole line with uh, Van Riemsdyk and Heinen had a pretty strong game. Um, you know, Patra helped create some chances. We saw him, you know, holding onto the puck more in the O zone, uh, making plays. And, you know, more importantly, like not making mistakes defensively, like having sort of more awareness when he had the puck and a stick in the D zone, making sure he moves it quickly. Um, you know, not risking turnovers. It, I was obviously, you know, they go to the, they go to the third period leading one, nothing. And I think we all probably think like, okay, let's see how much Potra plays. And one of his first shifts of the third period, the Bruins get scored on the devil's tie up the game. Now, not Potra's fault at all. It was like, it was kind of a wacky goal, honestly, where you get uh, a shot tipped in front goes over the net 
kind of ends up getting kicked back to the front. Paula hits the post and then Dawson Mercer just knocks it in out of midair. Like, not sure there's really much Patra or honestly anyone else could have done on that one. Um, you know, sometimes the other team just gets a couple lucky bounces. Um, well, they had then, an then, unlucky then, bounce first off the crossbar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then it's a tie game and, you know, good on Montgomery for like not benching Padra or anything like that. Like obviously at that point you need him out there to help you to try to win the game. Um, and I thought that line had a, at least one really good shift after that, that I remember where yeah. Heinen I'm- had a couple chances and, and then Ben Reeves, like had a chance, um, you know, and, Potentially could have won the game in regulation. Yeah, I I marked that as with seven minutes left. Um, that that line went out there, and I think Potra had he swung and missed on the first shot, but he was low slot. Got he took like a a the puck bounced off one of the defensemen right to him, whiffed on the first one, got the second one off. I think that was his only shot on goal technically of the game. Um, but the puck was right there, and those guys won a lot of battles on that shift. So the, I remember that shift too that that looked like that could have been the go-ahead goal um with that it was close to the net um so yeah i i I noticed that (laughs) in overtime though the whole team looked bad in overtime i'll just put it like that um yeah i i thought that maybe potra didn't have the best overtime um but nobody did that was a really ugly overtime if you're watching the bruins yeah, I'll I'll put as a, a connected thought, Bruins overtime play in general as as a down like so clearly in overtime in three on three possession is the name of the game, and the Bruins win the opening faceoff. Johnny Beecher's out there to take it, which usually it's Pavel Zaka, but he's out, so Beecher takes and wins the opening draw, then immediately gets off the ice, and. Pasternak and Martian both had plays where they like skated into traffic and were just like way over aggressive for what you need to be in three on three, where it's like, God, like you don't have to try to take guys one-on-one in three on three overtime, like circle back and set something up. And both times it was like the Bruins had possession for less than 15 seconds and then gave it back and, and ended up not even getting a shot on goal in overtime. New Jersey had at six in overtime and scores in the sixth one. Yeah. And, and those were two zone entries that they were trying to beat guys one-on-one. And then we talked about how come they have, they've had to defend so much on the rush. It's because they turn pucks over at the offensive blue line. And then you watch both of them walk right into um, just strong defensive plays and, and not be able to beat those guys. And it felt like that was the tone set from the very first shift uh, and everything just was hectic after that. I know Patra ended up in the net underneath Swayman at one point. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you saw it, but Swayman, when they got the whistle, uh, thought it was funny. He was laughing, but it was just kind of, I guess that kind of just visually shows how chaotic it was out there for the Bruins in overtime where the wow. bodies were flying. Nobody was really where they should have been. It was, it was not pretty. Well, it was so all over the place that uh, Hampus Lindholm almost ended up in the stands when Jesper Brat pulled up on him. I mean, put him in a blender. 
It's like, hey, eat Hampus, relax, buddy. You're 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 a player, not a not a fan. Stay on the ice. But yeah, I mean, if unless the Bruins are playing Toronto, who just refuses to back check on three on three, um, hasn't been hasn't been the greatest uh, area for this team this year so far. Yeah, and I know like that that play ends up looking really bad for Lindholm because of how far off he, he ends up. I guess my only plan would be like Jesper Brad is is extremely good and is coming at him full speed. And it's still even with Lindholm not being able to keep the gap up, you still escape trouble if either one of Marshan or Pasternak mm. picks up Jack Hughes. Like he, Jack Jackie mm-hmm. just finds a soft spot right between those two. And it's like they're both in the neighborhood and neither one even gets a stick within like two feet of them. Yeah, yeah. My, my note on that was it looked like Marshawn probably could have closed on him. And um, yeah. I mean, it definitely looked like Lindholm got a late read on Brat's zone entry. It, Lindholm seemed like he was flat footed too long there, but regardless, uh, you know, that was one of those plays where he could have perfect gap control, play him tight. Anytime a, pl- a forward pulls up like that, they're going to gain separation, immediate separation, right? Um, that's a play that I think, I, to be fair to Lindholm, and I think this is kind of what you're saying, Scott, that's going to happen regardless, no matter how he plays that play. Uh, that was on that was on the other coverage elsewhere on the ice, I think, where that play broke down. Um, okay, so downs. All right, let's start with let's start with Grizzly because I think there's the the other one's probably gonna take a little bit more time. Scott, why don't you why don't you take take the lead here? Yeah, just think Matt Grizzly continues to not really play up to the level that we've seen him play at before. Um, you know, in, in short, not having McAvoy the last two games do- doesn't help. That's obviously his usual partner. Um, you know, it's in Jim Montgomery's been asked a couple of times. I know I asked him and then I think a couple of days later, someone else asked him just like, what have you thought of Grizzly's play since he came back from injury? And he, people remember like he was on IR and came back for the Rangers game down in New York that Saturday, right after Thanksgiving. And I feel like he hasn't played all that well since returning. Montgomery keeps saying like he's getting better each game, at least publicly Montgomery seems happy with his play. He highlighted, you know, Grizzly's ability to go to quickly transition from defense to offense and vice versa. He doesn't get caught in between like some other players do. And that's fine. I just see, I see someone who's spent too much time in his own zone who hasn't ended plays as quickly as we usually see. Usually that's a real strength of his is like his footwork and stick work so good that he, forces turnovers and gets going the other way. Um, and then offensively, I don't think he's really been all that involved. And with, with Grizz, like his offensive involvement doesn't, it doesn't just have to be points because he's never put up a lot of points, but it's, it's activating the offensive zone, being part of, um, you know, being, being part of a good cycle, making good passes. And that's not just a him problem. Cause that takes, that takes all five guys on the ice contributing to get that cycle going. But I also think like when he's had a chance to be involved offensively, um, he just hasn't been as much as we've seen in the past. Yeah. And I don't have, it's funny because we've gone, we went over this before we started and some of these we disagree on Um, this one. I do agree with you, Scott, but I just, I don't 
have as many criticisms of him. I think he's been quiet, but I don't think he's been bad. I think he's, we know what he can do. We know that he can get involved more in offense. He hasn't. Um, but I also wouldn't say like he's been terrible since he came back from injury. He's just not a hundred percent looking like himself offensively. So um, I know Brian, Ryan's making a face at me right now. Oh no, no, um, sorry. I, it's not at you. I was, I was reading something. But I think that this next one is the one that's more contentious um, one, because actually, we disagree. First, first, sorry, Bridget. Just one, one last thing in Grizzly because I just happened to, to look this up. He's, he's one of only two Bruins defensemen who's a minus at five on five this year. And the other is Mason Laura, who's a minus six, but Grizzlick's a minus two. And even like expected goals, he's under 50%. And usually Grizzlick is like an analytics darling. So, right. Yeah, that's kinda, true. To kind of further highlight that, what I'm That Grizzlick Carlo pair used to have incredible analytics when they were together. Is that two years ago or last year? Um, I remember you always bringing up their. How how good they were with the advanced stats. Um, well, Gr- Grizzly McAvoy even more so. I mean that they yeah. were like usually so the, best the fa- Bridget. The face I was making was like I I was just looking at it. I didn't realize it was. I knew it was low. I, he's got one point in seventeen games. Grizzly. Yeah. I mean, I know he's a defenseman, but I mean, sometimes look. I I know there's a lot of analytics that go into player performances and not just the like the the main stat line. I get it. Sometimes the main stat line does kind of tell you a lot what you need to know. Um, one point in seventeen games minus one. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Bridget, you can you can definitely sorry one. Sorry, sorry but, but yeah, before we get to our final subject here, uh, while we were recording, Jacob Zaboro cleared waivers, so no one no one claimed him. Poor kid. So, unfortunately for him, he's going to remain stuck in Providence. I feel like he's donkey and Shrek. I'm all alone with no one to claim me. All right. Anyway, um, yeah, that sucks. Imagine like being like, "Yo, can you guys wave me?" Because like I kind of want a chance somewhere else. And the Bruins being like, "Sure," because we don't like no one's gonna take you. And then no one takes you. It's like, oof. Yeah. My God. Yeah. No, that that one hurts. That that one hurts if you're him. How's that 2015 draft looking? I mean, I'm not I'm not one of those people to really harp on it because like so much time has passed. Yes, you are. No. <laughs> you're no, speaking no, of. no. 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 It's been a while since I brought up that. Yeah, back when people were trying to make Zach Senishin happen and he and he sucked. It's like stop trying to convince me Zach Senishin is gonna be anything or Zaboro, like you know, whatever. But yeah, speaking of Scott. Stop trying to make fetch happen, okay? Um speaking of that speaking of that fair. draft though, our next person on on the up or down mm. list is Jake Debresque. Jake and Brian Jake and Scott Debrusque. have polar opposite views on how he's played the last few games. I'm kind of in the middle. So let's go. Let's go to Brian with the down first. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to clarify two things real quick. Number one, you guys will at least back me when I say I typically only harp on somebody if I think that there's a lot more there um, because they're capable of more. And also, this is more of a macro perspective on him, not necessarily the last couple of games. So, what I'll say about DeBrusque is this, and I know it's been talked about before, so I'm going to keep it brief and let Scott do his thing. Um, but Jake DeBrusque, oh, where, 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 where'd Jake go? Where is he? All right, so, oh boy, 26 games, four goals in 26 games. Seven assists, 11 points, plus six. Okay. Um, on the year, DeBrusque has 58 shots, 
which is a 6.9. Go ahead, Scott. You can say nice uh, shooting percentage. So he has the third most shots in the team. Okay, that's that, that's what I'm trying to illustrate. He has the third most shots in the team, and he just has a really bad shooting percentage. So one can make the argument against me, like he's got third third most shots in the team. He's got bad luck. He is creating. It's bound to happen at some point. And I'm here to say, like, fine. I'm not going to argue that anymore. I'm not going to argue, like, he's making things happen. You know, the the, the, the chances are, are there. Like, whatever, fine. Um, what I can tell you is that he's, like, you watch somebody last night, like Morgan Geeky, and it jumps off the page. Every shift, he's giving it his all. And there have been shifts this year where DeBrusque is getting his nose in there. It's not enough. And he's, and for, have you guys ever heard of the band, the record company? No, I, I've heard of them. I can, they have a, so. they have a song um, called make it happen. And that's the point I'm at with DeBrusque. Like, I don't care what anybody tells me anymore. I don't, I don't care. And so I'm not trying to do a mic drop on Scott before he goes. Like, I'm at the point now where it's like, just, just make it happen. Like start scoring because that's what you're being paid to do. And that's what your team needs of you. And people can tell me until they're blue in the face, Brian, look at this, 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 and this, it would tell you, it would suggest to you, it's going to happen. What I'm, what my response is, is I don't care, make it happen because until then, what do you want me to do with this? Like you do, everybody has a job to do. Scott, if you're like, you're, you're paid to, to run digital and, and at, at EEI and do a lot more over, overseeing and you write articles. And it's like, you know, if like, if it'd be one thing, if I watched the brusque and said, man, this, this kid's just, he's busting his balls. Sorry, Bridget. He's busting his ass. Every, every time he's out there, he's just snake bitten. But Scott, that'd be one thing, but Scott, you can't honestly tell me that's the case. It's just not, it's, it's here and there. It's not a lot. And he just has to make it happen. And until then, he's just going to be underwhelming to me. All right, Brian, look at this. <laughs> uh, no, look, obviously, DeBrusque has more to give. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's been awesome and no one should worry about anything like. What? Yes, his shooting percentage is very low. And part of that is bad luck. And I think it will come up naturally. He also does need to shoot more. Last year, he was just under three shots on goal per game. This year, he's just over two. So basically taking one fewer shot per game on, on goal. His his number of attempts are like more in line, but he's had some miss the net, more blocked. Um, part of that is he's, you know, until Wednesday night, still not on the first power play unit, obviously, just by the nature of being on a top power play unit, you're going to get more chances. And he did last year. And, um, you know, it's basically playing half as much power play time this year. So that's a factor too. My, why I'm just not worried about DeBrusque really is I just still think he's making more good things happen than bad. And I thought he played pretty well Wednesday night. He set up two golden opportunities for Pasternak. If one of those goes in where we're talking about the Bruins winning two to one and DeBrusque setting up one of the goals instead, you know, Pasanaku is a great finisher. Didn't 
bury either of those chances. Um, you know, I'll keep them like I can do this. I can do this with fancy stats or just normal stats. But Brian fancy- specifically told you to not do that. He said, "Don't say this, this, this." Well, and this. guess what, <laughs> Brian, Brian? Brian's not my dad, and he can't control me. <laughs> oh, Scott, 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 Scott. Scott. Uh, no, no, Scott can read them all off because honestly. This is not just for he and I to discuss. This is for the listeners and everything. Um, my 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 response is going to be do it, not almost, but it's not just for me. So, Okay, so expected goals for percentage at five on five. And for I've used this step before, but for people who don't know, this is basically percentage of scoring chances when you're on the ice. Like what percentage of goals would your team be expected to score based on the chances that you're getting and giving up. Jake DeBrusque is at 56.1% this year. The only Bruin better than him is James Van Riemsdyk. Actual goals, the non-fancy stat, just actual pucks in the net at both ends of the ice. DeBrusque at five on five has been on the ice for 16 Bruins goals, seven opponent goals, plus nine. Best mark among forwards. Only Brendan Carlo and Hampus Lindholm are better on the whole team. So they are pretty decisively outscoring opponents when he's on the ice and getting more scoring chances than they're giving up when he's on the ice. And I think his play is part of that. I don't think he's just a passenger who happens to be stuck with really good players. Um, I think he his defensive game has come a long way in, in a couple of years, obviously playing on line with Bergeron and Marchand. Helped with that, but I think he's taken those habits, even being away from them now. Um, And I think he has helped create chances. He has not finished enough himself, not at all. Um, He does have to score more because he's getting paid to do that, and the Bruins need him to do that. But I've said it before. I would be a lot more concerned about DeBrusque if other good things weren't happening when he's on the ice. As long as those other good things are happening, I'm not super concerned. And I think he will start putting up points at some point. Uh, I think I think he's looked good on the line with Pasternak. I think they've played off each other pretty well, whether it's been Zaka or Geeky in the middle. So I would give that a little longer look and hope that playing with Pasternak gets him going more on the score sheet. That was like watching Scott open up gifts like a kid on Christmas. Getting to use his advanced analytics to prove his point is like that. Yeah, I was smiling because I was like, "This is Scott's in his in his glory right now." Oh well, <laughs> I mean, DeBrusque's, DeBrusque's agent must be so excited for contract negotiations this year with teams. Well, oh, you guys should see his uh, his expected goals per when he's out there, and that's going to go a long way to get him a, a <laughs> contract next year with somebody. Can I just quickly give mine? Cause I'm not as like one way or the other. Um, mine, because Brian gave his in the form of a song title, I'm going to do that too. So I'm going to go with the weekend. I feel it coming. Uh, cause I feel like the goals are coming. So, um, <laughs> so that's, that's where I am. I, I think Scott's stats, as you just heard, kind of bear that out. Um, I don't think he's been, not trying you know you know what I mean like he's been trying I've seen him working hard um on the shifts at least that's what 
my eyes are telling me when he's out there, he's not, he's not being lazy. Um, maybe he's not working the same as a geeky or a Heinen. He's probably a little bit more comfortable. Um, and those guys are on the outside. And so those guys need to play like that. I'm not saying he doesn't, but there's a reason why there's a little bit more fire. And also that's more geeky's game. That's more Heinen's game than it is to breast games. So I feel it coming. Uh, I think that well, it's it's right there. And for his sake, he really does need to to just put some more points up, put some more goals up so that people who don't go through the advanced analytics like Scott just did um, can stop freaking out about it. So I guess I fall a little bit more on Scott's side than, than Brian's side. But Well, I mean, I also feel like, like it's probably due to happen soon too, which is kind of why I want to have this conversation now before it's a moot point. But um, yeah, I mean, but here's the thing, like for me, he, he, he's not in a position to be comfortable, comfortable. Like he should be pushing the needle and like pushing the pace because not just because he's a professional, but because like, if you're in a slump and this has been a season long slump, make no mistake about it. So, I mean, like, I just think there's a nose to nose for the net that I just haven't seen. Bridges, sorry about that glare. Um, there's a note, there's a nose for the net that I haven't really seen much out of them. Um, Bridges so, got a nose for sunlight. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious. I'm literally like, if I lean forward, I'm you can't even see my face. I'm just blinded, so I'm gonna just lean back. Um. I'm curious. Look, maybe he's not the player I thought he was. Maybe he. Maybe my my expectations for him are too high. Um, I thought when he was younger, he was somebody who went hard to the net, had good hands, uh, and 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 had a good work ethic. I mean, when he was a rookie uh, in his sophomore season, like I never really complained about his work ethic ever. Actually, it wasn't until the COVID stuff with the bubble where people started to notice he went in these long slumps and then the Bruce Cassidy stuff happened. And since then, and then he requested the trade. So the first couple of years, I, I love the player and believe me, like, I know it sounds like I'm shitting on him. I want him to succeed. I want him to play well. Like I, I actually think he's like a, he seems like a good person and a funny personality. Um, Like I want him to do well, but it just seems like it, outside of the stretch with Martian and Bergeron, it's just been not living up to his expectations as a, as a point producer. And I'm curious, Scott, um, are there any, um, well, first of all, I'll, two, two questions. Do you find that he's using his speed and challenging inside ice as much as he should? And then my second question is, are there any stats about 50, 50 battle percentages? Probably not. That's probably way too tough to, 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 um, to, to figure out, but I feel like his bat, his, his 50, 50 battles, he's coming up short on most of them. And maybe I'm just being unfair, but that's what it seems like when I watch him. Yeah. We know that they, the Bruins track it internally, but there's not any public data on, on 50, 50 battles. Um, I, I do. I'm going to take a guess that DeBrusque might not be grading out great because we know Montgomery places a lot of stock in that. And when Montgomery is asked about DeBrusque, he'll say like, yeah, he's doing a lot of things that help us win, but some of his details and habits are slipping because he's not scoring. And that's kind of what happens with all scores when they're not scoring. And 
you know, to me, like that could be one of the things he's talking about. It's like maybe he's not winning as many battles or whatever. Um, you know, I will say like for the sake of fairness, because you can often make, you know, you can sort of pick and choose advanced stats. I'll highlight two that like clearly have to be better that are clearly off when I just look at it last year. So this is just five on five. So this is taking the power play situation out of it. Last year, he had 10.1 shots on goal per 60 minutes at five on five this year, 8.2. So that's a pretty significant drop off, basically two full shots per 60 minutes. Another one, high danger chances in individual high danger chances. Last year, he had 5.94 per 60 minutes. This year, 4.56. Again, like that's a pretty sizable drop. And I think, Brian, you asked about like getting to inside ice. And, you know, I think that's a pretty clear indication that like he's not there as much. One, he's not shooting as much in general. Two, he's not shooting as much from high danger areas right around the net. And like the the one stretch he had where he had goals in back-to-back games, how did he score both of them? right at the net, like driving to the net to burying his own rebounds. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you see it and you see him get rewarded when he does it. And it, yeah, that that's not happening enough. So, and, yeah. And it's, it's, it's obvious to everybody and Jake, like that's, that's where he's successful. And and what annoys me about him is that like, those are the hardest goals to get. And it's like, he just refuses to do it. And it's like, it, you know, that's where you make your bread and butter, but you refuse to do it because it's hard to do 82 games. And it's like, and that's what bothers me about him. It's like, I know, look, a lot of the, a lot of the analytics that you, that you talk about, Scott, like a lot of that can, can, can be um, not fluffed up, but a lot of that can happen because of structure and positioning. And like, I do think he, he's a smart player. Like he gets positioning he gets X's and O's. He knows where to be. He's and and he's like, yeah. He, defensively, he's not a liability, and and so a lot of those numbers will be will will be in his favor. But for the, like when I watch him play, the two areas that jump out to me were if he did this consistently, I wouldn't. You wouldn't even hear me talk about him not scoring. Is what I said. Like when I watch him on the boards. He loses a lot of battles, and that comes down to effort. That's one man outworking another man. And then when his game is speed, like he's not using his speed to drive to the net and challenge defenders. If he does those things and isn't scoring, you won't hear a peep out of me. But those are just two things that jump off the page to me. And it's like this kid is capable of both of those things, but he refuses to do it consistently. And if he did, I don't even think he would have these point slums because he'd be doing the right things all all the time. Um, and I know t- players can have games off and here and there, but you know it seems like his games on are the anomaly. Like his best game in my one of his best games this year was in Detroit. He had a goal and an assist, and he also had five shots on goal, which was his season high for shots on goal in a game. Like no no surprise there. He was engaged. Um, so anyway, like I don't hate the player. I know he does a lot of things that don't hurt the team, but he just has so much, he has so much potential. And I just think a lot of it can be corrected by just being a little bit more hard nosed. And that's where, that's what it comes down to for me. Was that our last down? I think, I think 
it was. Yeah, I think I think we, we made sure to save that for last because yeah, because we, we knew it was gonna be a debate. And also, like, I literally can't escape the sun at this point. I know I'm like if people are watching this, I'm like literally shrunken into like a corner of my um screen because this is what's going on. So um yeah, I think we timed out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean like I, I feel I'm not gonna lie, I feel bad because like I don't I don't dislike Jake DeBrusque. Like if anybody listening is a big Jake DeBrusque fan, or hell, if Jake DeBrusque himself was listening, thanks for listening, Jake. Like <laughs> I, I honestly he always, he always listens. I honestly say this like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to bag on your favorite player. Like I honestly it's because you don't hear me talking about Jacob Loco not scoring or Oscar Steen. Like, you know. It's I'm pretty consistent. Like if, if I think somebody's capable of something and I just and I see it's not because of a lack of skill that they're not doing what they need to do, I'm gonna harp on it until I notice something change. And like I said, if I see him busting his ass and driving to the net and outworking guys on the boards and getting his getting his you know getting himself in the in the fight a little bit more and he's not scoring, I won't say a thing. Um, but until then, he might still be a down for me. Uh, any final uh, takeaways from you two? No, I don't think so. No. Nope. Okay. So what do we have coming up here for the Bruins? On Saturday, they have um, – Well, both. first Friday. They, they go back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Yeah, they, the Islanders and the Rangers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, with travel back to Boston, though, not it's not just you hmm. know two New York games. but. Hmm. And um, was, is there, did, was there any clarity on Pavel Zaka's injury that he sustained? But what it was? No, I I still haven't seen anything like anyone who's been able to pinpoint what exactly it was. Hmm. Okay. And then the timeline on McAvoy and Zaka are still TBD, right? They're not. Yeah, that they're still considered day to day. Um, Bruins are Bruins are off Thursday, so the earliest we get anything would be Friday's morning skate for from, you know, whichever reporters are on Long Island for that game. Um, also, one other note, Saturday is another Errors night, and it's the the Lunch Pale AC, which was the, you know, basically the, the post-Bobby Orr group um, that, you know, made two Stanley Cup finals in the late 70s, did not win, lost both to the Canadians. Famous uh, Too Many Men in the Ice game was, was that era. Um, but I know like that those teams are, you know, for people a little older than us, like a real fan favorite, just the, the, the way that they played, um, some of the personalities on that team, like, you know, led, led by Terry O'Reilly, but, um, stars like, like Brad Park and Rick Middleton. So that, mm. that should be cool seeing a, a bunch of those guys. What What is that stand? What, what was that nickname? The lunch pill AC? Yeah. So I think it was just, a. Just based on like their hard work, you know, like take taking the lunch pail to work. Um, mm. I don't I don't know if Don Cherry coined it or if someone like coined it for him, but um, yeah. Okay. Looking forward to that. All right. Well, I assume the two of you are all set. So thank you all for listening and enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you very soon.